0: Welcome, everybody, to the Kona Shame Veterinary Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Andy Rourke. Guys, I love this episode. I am so happy with it. I am so excited about it. Uh, Josh Weissman, uh, this is my first time really getting to sit down and do anything with him. And man, did I enjoy the heck out of it. I am getting that guy back on the podcast for sure because I could have talked to him all day. It was a fantastic conversation about what it means to have a positive workplace and to feel good about going to work. We talk about... uh, how some practices put numbers ahead of people and how that manifests and how that looks and how we do that differently. We talk about having compassion for the people we work with and still holding people accountable and how you can do that. Just take some balance. But um, man, such a good conversation. Guys, I'm not going to delay any longer. Let's get into this episode.
1: This is your show. We're glad you're here. We
0: want to help. You in your veterinary career. Welcome to the Cone of Shame with
1: Dr. Andy Rourke.
0: Welcome to the podcast, Josh Weisman. Thanks for being
1: here. Oh gosh, Andy, thanks for having me. I'm I'm super excited to chat with you today. Oh
0: my, my pleasure. Um, so uh, I met you at the first event I had been to in two years when I went back to Vegas for Western, and uh, I had lunch with you. Because of our mutual friend Dr. Phil Richmond and man, we had a great conversation, and I really love talking with you. And I wanted to have you on and talk some more. So thanks for making time.
1: Oh gosh, yeah, I, I appreciate the opportunity. And and shout out to Phil. Phil is such a wonderful guy, and he's the ultimate connector in the veterinary community. Yeah, if, if you
0: don't know Dr. Phil Richmond, uh, you're missing out. He's he's doing he does more. Well, he, he's doing so much for uh, mental health. Uh, yes. In vet medicine, and just uh, he's yeah he's out there just he's one of those guys that doesn't make a big show about it yeah and just yeah. does the work that helps yep. other people and um yeah so much love in my heart for that guy All yeah. right, cool let's uh so let's talk why don't we just start a little bit with your background uh can you tell me a little bit about so you're uh you are the owner founder of Flourish Veterinary Consulting tell us a little bit about uh positive psychology and coaching psychology and kind of what you do.
1: <laughs> absolutely so so flourish was started with the goal of sort of taking what does the science uh, tell us contributes to human thriving specifically in an organizational context so you know what are the kinds of things that seem to allow people to really thrive and get a sense of fulfillment in their work from a scientific evidence based perspective and then we try and bring that to the veterinary space in you know really tangible and digestible ways so that we can empower leaders to cultivate that kind of environment Uh, in a veterinary hospital and that that's kind of the the basic gist of it so for me personally how my journey got started on that uh you know i i've worked in the veterinary space since the late 90s i've done just about every role in a hospital except be a full dvm i like to joke i was once the right hand of a veterinarian for about two months when she (laughs) broke her wrist and and i did all her medical records and pretty much everything that required her right hand uh, but, uh, I found myself, uh, sort of stumbling into practice management and ownership. And I did that in a couple small animal hospitals over several years and, uh, went through a, a pretty significant bout of, uh, occupational burnout. I mean, like depression level kind of burnout, crying in mm-hmm. my kitchen over scrambled eggs one morning for no apparent reason as my shocked wife looked on and couldn't figure out what was happening to me. Yeah. Um, you know, in going through all that, I, I had sort of two realizations. One of them, sort of community-based, and one of them, personally-based. Uh, on, on a personal level, I I, I recognized that um, I was, uh, pardon the French, a shitty leader. I, I did not lead in the best possible ways. I I had sort of allowed myself to get into the habit of putting numbers ahead of people, and and I don't think that numbers are the leading indicators that we really should be after. I think people. Are what make things happen, and when you care for people, they care for outcomes. Uh, but I didn't do a good job of that. And then on, on a community level, I, I sort of realized that, you know, the veterinary space we we've gotten really damn good at taking care of others, and not quite as good at taking care of ourselves and each other. And I felt like there's got to be a better way to. Do this wonderful, worthy work that we do, so that it actually contributes to our individual and collective fulfillment instead of our depletion. And so that led me to go back to school and uh, pursue a master's in applied positive psychology and coaching psychology because I really feel like that is the prism of science that can help us get there.
0: Yeah. So the um the the challenge of separating care for people from care from numbers, I. I I think that that's something that a lot of people don't really appreciate or recognize. I I don't know know how much you see it until you're in a leadership role. And a lot of people go, oh, yeah, well, obviously you care for people and not for numbers. And I don't know that people really appreciate how strong there is a push to manage numbers. And, And let's be honest, numbers are easy to manage. People are hard to manage. You know what I mean? And there's all these phrases like, if you can't measure it, you can't manage it. And, you know, and we need to make this objective so that we can look and have a dashboard and see how we're doing because it's easy to lie to ourselves. And, man, it is easy to get sucked into that vortex of of looking at these numbers. And so uh, I just, you know, when I when I hear that, I I think I think most of us wrestle with that. I would say in my career, I've, I've done a pendulum swing a number of times. And I think that's probably what most of us do is where we get really focused on our people and and taking care of our people. And then we start to say, oh, I'm getting close to not making payroll, you know, or or uh, there starts to be sort of behavioral issues and you go, "Okay, we need to quantify this so that we can really track it or we can start to have very um, very specific conversations with people and so then we start to track numbers and look at people clocking in and clocking out on time and, and absenteeism and things like that and those are very valid reasons to get into looking at these numbers but but the staff sees that as well and it's just funny how our mind sort of sort of shifts over time and then it sort of shifts back so yeah le- um let's so first of all uh, validate validate that struggle let me begin with that yes let's uh let's talk about let's talk about positivity and positive work cultures in vet medicine so uh what do you see when you look at most veterinary practices uh, do most practices do a pretty good job a pretty bad job like, like just give me a picture of the general landscape when you look at your average vet practice what are what are the things that you feel like most of them do right what are the things that most of them do wrong
1: yeah, that's, that's a really great question, Andy. Uh, and, and I do want to validate that struggle because that struggle is real. Uh, and, yeah. and it can feel like it's pulling you in two sort of diametrical directions. Um, I think there's an opportunity to navigate the space between both. Yeah. And, uh, and I think that that's what, the hospitals that do this well, that's what they do. They sort of honor and recognize that there are pulls and pressures from both sides and that we can find a way to live in a both and world instead of an either or. Uh, and the hospitals that have an opportunity to do better, which I, I would venture to say is probably the majority of practices, uh, do sort of find themselves being pulled in one direction or the other and, and really struggling with that. You know, a, a positive environment, when I use that word positive, I, I recognize that, that that word can be a little bit loaded. Yeah, totally. It's a
0: it's a it's a a fluffy, fuzzy word that means a lot of things. And it's gotten gotten a lot of use recently. And and that always makes me go, all right, the meaning of this is really getting distorted, probably.
1: Yes, yes. Distorted is a great word to describe that. Yeah. So when I'm talking about positive, I'm not talking about, you know, Ice cream and sprinkles every day at work. I'm not talking about you know yes. this fluffy uh, everybody's best friends and we all hug it out all day long and it's you know kumbaya and roasted marshmallows. That is not a positive environment. That's an apathetic environment. That's a that's an environment of learned helplessness. That's an environment that is not fulfilling. You know when when we think about things like meaningfulness and impact and contribution and fulfillment, we don't imagine scenarios that were you know. Uh, uh, full of joy from beginning to end, we imagine scenarios that had challenges that were difficult, that we overcame and that there was maybe an environment of support or help in. And I think that's what the practices that do this well recognize. You know, one of the things that I talk about, I, I, we have a, at Flourish, we have a, a leadership framework. We, we call it the four P's of positive leadership. It's uh, something we've been working on for several years. We're actually writing a book about it for AHA Press right now. Uh, and there's these four pillars. And one of the pillars that we talk about is uh, uh, the, the progress pillar. And the progress pillar is really what we think of as like the connective tissue of the entire framework. I often, when I'm, when I'm standing in front of large audiences of hospital owners and practice managers and medical directors and I talk about leadership, I say, you know, really, I, I don't have to talk to you for two hours or four hours or six hours here. I can, I can sum it up in two sentences. Other people matter, leadership is relationships. If you can really, truly embody and embrace those two statements, other people matter, leadership is relationships, then you'll be an excellent leader. And that's what it really, really boils down to. But that can also be taken to that, you know, that that pendulum swing that you referred to. That can be taken to the extreme side of, I will solve all your problems, I'll coddle you, I'll take care of everything for you. And that that's actually, antithesis to positive leadership. If you're the kind of leader who finds that, A, everybody seems to dump all their problems on your lap, or B, you take on everybody's problems, that's, that's not an effective way to c- cultivate an environment that contributes to professional fulfillment. Because that's an environment of learned helplessness. We, we have to create leadership through partnership. You know, a, a partnership in where, Andy, I care about your success, and I care about you as a person, and I care enough to give you the kindness of helping you be the best version of who you can be. And sometimes that means calling out your strengths and where you're kicking butt and where you're doing great. And sometimes that means we've gotta have these difficult conversations where you're falling a bit short of my expectations because that's the kind thing to do. Sometimes we think of positive environments as the nice environment where everything is nice and we never say anything bad. But actually a positive environment, a positive culture, positive leadership is about kindness. And kindness sometimes means calling people out when they're falling short. Yeah,
0: no, I, I, I like this a lot. So, mm-hmm. you know, the big thing is we talk about the struggle that a lot of people have of, say, measuring numbers versus um, mm-hmm. versus the compassionate relationships. And I look at this, you know, and I say, you know, okay, other people matter, uh, leading is relationships. And I, I get that. I think the part that, that people have to wrestle a little bit to get their head around, and mm-hmm. I, I, I had to wrestle with this for a long time. Sure. Um, accountability. Yeah, is still a thing. Yes. You know what I mean? Like, uh, and, and I think that I think that's, a, that's the biggest mistake I see people make because they're like, OK, got it. Relationships matter. People matter. I got it. So what I'm hearing is I just take care of people and I make people happy. And I'm like, yeah, no. Mm, no, 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 that, that, that's, that's flawed. And, and I think that that's yeah. an important point because that, that is the difference between sunshine and rainbows, a bunch of kind of fluffy, you know, fuzzy garbage. That's, that's not true. And And people yeah. getting walked on and people not having personal boundaries. You know, that sort of, I I think, I think responsibility and accountability are things that we have to bake into being compassionate and you can do that. But to me, that is the middle path. That is the, the, the path that I think a lot of people struggle with. And so I, I very much like, I like your, I I very much like how you talk about, you know, relationships matter. And, and I, and I agree with that as well. And I'll say, you know, relationships matter and relationships are built on trust and trust matters. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, at at the same time uh anyone who's ever worked at a business where people are not held accountable well, you yeah. forget a business a family if you yeah. got people in your family who yeah. are not held accountable yeah. you know what I mean and yeah. like who other people are just determined to make happy those people are maddening and yeah. uh, I don't I don't have any of those people in my family or extended <laughs> family at all ever but uh, <laughs> that's not but no I, but but you see those people I, I make a joke but you see people out in the world all the time who have never been held accountable. And yeah. they're not happy people. And, and you don't want to spend a lot of time with them. And so that brings me to the other part of this, sort of, ba- of this uh, navigating this path, is balance. Which yeah. means you do want to be compassionate to this person. Yeah. But it is also your job as a leader to be compassionate to everybody else in the clinic as well. Correct. And so if you're, being, um, if you're being pushover, and other people are picking up the slack because you're not holding this person accountable, you know what I mean? Or you're not, um, yeah, you're not telling them the truth and giving them honest feedback and saying, hey, you're kicking butt in these ways, but you're not kicking butt in these ways and it's causing frustration to Pam, then you're not being compassionate to Pam.
1: Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. I
0: I like that. I, I, I suspect it probably threw some people for a loop when you said, oh, you know, We've got donuts in the break room and sprinkles and like that's, yeah, that's yeah. learned helplessness. Unpack yeah. that a little bit more for me. What do you like when you say learned helplessness in the vet yeah. world, what does that look like?
1: Yeah. Uh, so for, you know, I want to talk a little bit about learned helplessness and this idea of that we can, we can sort of learn to be helpless. Uh, oftentimes it's sort of subversive and it's not something that's necessarily overtly conscious. Uh, but, you know, we have to realize people, all of us, every human being, we're, we're driven by a lot of sort of basic psychological needs. And when those needs are unmet, that's when we get these sort of deleterious effects. You know, these, these problems in a team environment or, you know, the problems that you hear about it, the front versus the back and all that kind of stuff. To me, whenever I hear problems in a team environment, what I hear is there are needs in this environment that are being unmet. One of those basic needs is the need for autonomy. Every single one of us needs to feel like we are some way, shape or form the captain of our own lives, that we have a voice and a say in the direction that our life is going. When you have a team environment where somebody in leadership is the be all end all, whether that's intentional or not. And, and I want to clarify something, by the way, Andy, I, I've had the opportunity over the last several years to meet and interact with thousands of people in leadership positions in veterinary medicine. I can tell you with complete confidence, I'll take this to my grave, I can count on one hand the number of like actually bad human beings in leadership in vet med. Most of the people, the vast majority of people in veterinary medicine who are in leadership positions truly want to do the best they can for and by the people that they serve. They, They want to create this kind of environment where people feel happiness at work and, you know, fulfillment and all that kind of stuff. It's just that nobody's really ever taught us how to do that. (laughs) And so what we do is we revert to what we know. Okay, I need to take care of people and make them happy. So bring me all your problems, right? I'll solve Mm -hmm. everything for you. Or, ooh, I'm in the leadership position now. So I've got to be the person who's the strongest and has all the answers and knows all the right things to do. And I can't ever show any weakness in my armor. All of that creates an environment that tells people two things. You can't ever be wrong, so get somebody who can be right. And if you can't ever be wrong, you can't ever lean into the discomfort of trying new things and learning and growing and innovating and creating. And so, essentially, you have to put on this facade of everything is always good and right all the time. That's impossible, yeah. <laughs> and, but people lose the sense of empowerment, if you, if you work for a leader who either expects everything to be right or takes all your problems on, you have lost control over the environment. You have given that control to somebody else or they have taken it from you, which means you don't feel a sense of autonomy. You don't feel like you're the captain there. That human need is unmet. You're going to try and find it somewhere else. And most of the time in this environment of learned helplessness, that's the whispers and complaints in the corners. You know, Most of the time, that sense of Empowerment and control is ruminating with somebody else on the team who gets it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. No, that, that, that definitely makes it. I hadn't thought about, about sort of the whispers and complaints as being a manifestation of autonomy. I, I, I think a lot about personal agency as, as a requirement. I think that that's pretty much yeah. the same thing as what you're talking about with, with autonomy so is like, um, I, I don't think that people can be happy when they don't feel like they have some control, right? Like yeah. imagine playing a video game where everything was so on rails that you just, you couldn't mess up. And you go, yeah. well, that's, how fun is that? Well, that's right. some people's jobs. And, and people say, well, my job's not a video game. And I'd say, well, there should be similarities, right? It should yeah. be challenging. It should be engaging. It should change you know it should give you a yeah. feeling of accomplishment like that's yes. that's why people play video games is to immediately have that engagement that challenge that quick hit of accomplishment uh, yeah. you know people aren't too hard to figure out what what entertains them in one way entertains them in another way or what engages yeah. them in one way engages them in another so yeah, yeah. I, I think that that i think that that's funny the thought of you know i'm the leader i'm going to make this perfect to the point that my people don't feel like they have any autonomy mm-hmm. I, I hadn't i hadn't really thought about I hadn't really thought about that. I, I did think when you were talking about, um, you know, uh, the leader that doesn't let people fail or, or that is there to solve problems is the old uh, Cartman drama triangle. You know, the hero, villain, victim triangle.
1: <laughs> I don't oh. remember that, please. Oh, you no. don't? Oh, no, yeah. Okay. I okay. love Cartman, though. So, <laughs> all right, so
0: here we go. The, 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 the drama triangle. It's the hero, villain, victim triangle. Okay. And what it says is, generally, when we have conflict, we tend to have three roles, right? We tend yeah. to have the victim, who is the person who has been wronged. And yeah. we have the villain, who is the person yeah. who did the despicable deed. And then there's the <laughs> hero, who is the person yeah. who comes in yeah. and uh, saves, puni- punish- saves the victim, yeah. punishes the villain, rights yeah. the wrong, yeah. Yeah. and yeah. rides yeah. off into the sunset. And that is, that is the drama triangle. And think about your vet practice. You know, think about the victim. And the villain who the victim comes and complains about. And then they want you to be the hero. Yeah. And the takeaway from the Cartman drama triangle that and the thing I always hammer on people is you don't want to be the hero. Don't, yeah. don't be the hero because we yeah. have these people who are like, you know what I am? I'm a professional hero. All day long I'm a hero. And the, the problem with it is it makes you feel good. You're like, yeah, I righted 10 wrongs today. And you're like, you shouldn't have had to right any wrongs. You should have done your regular job that you yeah. want to do and that you need to do, but you didn't. You were, you were protecting the villain uh, or the victim all day. And so it really comes down to don't be the hero. Make the victim be the hero. Empower the victim to be their own hero. Yeah. And now you've got, now you've got people who have some agency Right. They've got they've got some autonomy. They've got tools in the toolbox to fix their problem and they can fix their problem and navigate, you know, and navigate the course without having you to be involved. Of course, there's problems that come up that, you know, that need to go up the chain. But that's that's not most of the problems
1: most of us deal with all day. Yeah. I, I love that the 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 drama triangle. That's awesome. Uh, that I use it all the time. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. See, I I think that what we can also do to add to that is um we can shift our mindset around what it means to be the heroic leader, and and see, I think that you're right. I think that so many of us in this space we try to be the superhero, the one who sweeps in and punishes the wrongdoer Mm -hmm. and saves the one who's been victimized. Uh, And you're right, that does feel good. I mean, it does feel good when you make that contribution to people's lives. And it's incredibly exhausting to be the hero all day, every yeah. day. And it's disempowering to the people around you. You're right, it removes the, any sense of agency. And when, when we lose agency, when we lose a sense of autonomy, we invariably become disengaged. We become yeah. demotivated. Uh, and that's the opposite of what we're trying to accomplish. So what I think we can do is we can, we can shift the mindset. We can create a new way of thinking of what the hero can be. The hero, rather than being the lifesaver, can be the kind of partner who sits down with people and says, I hear you, this is a struggle, I see how this is affecting you. How can we solve this together and truly embrace that together part and be the partner? The person who can empathize, who can offer support and tools when people don't feel like they have all that resources and enable a sense of agency and autonomy so they can actually, instead of being the victim, they can play a role as a hero as well.
0: Oh yeah, it's the difference between trying to be Harry Potter and and being Albus Dumbledore. Be Albus Dumbledore! Like, you know, mentor Harry Potter to handle his own problems, you know? uh, Be be Yoda, not Luke Skywalker, you know? And that's that's where you're doing the most good in the world, right? I, I really like the idea that part of being a leader, part of being a business owner, because business owners are leaders, part of being a manager is growing people. And and part of that's just because I find that deeply rewarding to see people grow. And um, this is a big part of making people more competent, is not fighting their battles for them. God, this is the hardest part of being a parent, right? Like I totally wanna fight my kids' battles for them. That's not my job, and that's not the best thing for my kids in the long term. And uh, boy, the, those are hard muscles to work. And I don't think a lot of us, I don't think a lot of us, no one teaches you how to coach. They fi- they teach you how to fix problems. They don't teach you how to coach. And man, I, I think that that is w- one of the most undervalued skills
1: that is out there. Yep. I totally agree. And that that's one of the biggest questions that I get, you know, when I when I talk about these kinds of concepts, I think that it actually resonates with a lot of people. I think that actually oh, yeah. the preference would be for most leaders is to have an empowered team that solves problems, that innovates and creates, that overcomes and is resilient, and that the leader is supporting in a supporting role instead of an overarching role. Uh, but then what they invariably ask is, well, okay, this sounds great, Josh, but I have no frickin' clue how to do it. How do I do it? And you touched on that word. I think the very best leaders are leaders who coach up or coach out. And, but coaching is always at, is central to it. But coaching is an acquired skill, and it's not something that most of us naturally possess. And so how do you do that? How do you have those kinds of conversations? See, I think when we get caught up in the day-to-day fires and we feel like it's the 476th complaint that's come through our door that day, and I've still got a checklist of 74 items to get done by six and it's already 4 p.m. And somebody comes in and complains about somebody, uh, it's really easy to fall into that habit of like, all right, Andy, I've, I've heard what you've said about Diane and I'm gonna fix it. And then just let Andy go. Yeah. A coaching response would be: "Okay, Andy, I heard what you said about Diane, and I can see how it's affecting you. I'm curious if you were in my shoes, what would you do? Yeah, what 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 options do you think uh, that we
0: have going forward? Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. I mean, I, those, Coaches ask questions.
0: Yeah, yeah. What what do you what do you think we could do to yeah. prevent this from happening in the future? Yeah, yeah. Um, I I I, but I." I think it takes it takes and so there's three pieces. of This I think, so right. So not knowing what to say, I think that's a, yeah. that's the first one, right. So yeah. how how do you how do you coach? How do you ask those questions so that they uh, figure out? You know, and they come to yeah. you and they say, "Well, this is the problem," and you say, "All right, what have you done to try to address the problem?" Yeah, <laughs> and you put yeah. like, no. So the first one is 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 they don't know what to say. I, yeah. I would say the second thing that I see a lot is this, and I and this comes from me, right. It's this twisted self-identity leader thing where you're the leader. And in order to be a good leader, you have to have the answer or you're (laughs) supposed to fix the problem. And I talk about, um, I I do a little bit on this in one of my lectures and I put up a picture of like General George Patton. And I'm like, I thought that this is what leadership looked like. And when you were a good leader, people didn't question you. Because they trusted you and they were like, oh, Andy knows the answer and he's a boss. Yeah. He's a great boss. And so the great boss knows what the answer is. And so we're just going to yeah. do the answer. And I found that that does not exist outside the military. And if your people don't question you, that's a terrible thing. Andy,
1: I feel personally attacked right now. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I you you have completely hit a nerve with me. That's, that's entirely the kind of leader that I was. I, I thought I, that I had I to be George Patton. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. And it was,
0: so then my next slide is Kermit the Frog. I'm like, this is what a really looks like. And it's like Kermit gets questioned <laughs> constantly yeah. about everything. And you know yeah. why? It's because people trust him enough to tell him what they think. Exactly. And they, and they think that he's trying to do the best thing and he's worth engaging with. Yeah. And like the George Patton to Kermit the Frog leadership uh, shift, dang, that was, that was hard. That's hard. And it's hard yeah. because I'm, I'm naturally a Muppet. And so just, owning that and feeling okay about it and being like, this is this is a this is a this is a good identity for a leader is to be yeah. questioned continuously yeah. from people who are good at their job and who care and they ask you because they care. Uh, and to be criticized because people are feel safe enough around you to say, hey, I'm not sure that this is the best thing or you should think about this. And yep. so the self-identity thing is a thing I think that holds a lot of us back. and the and the last the last thing that I think holds a lot of us back too is. Like so many things in leadership, what is easiest in the short term is detrimental in the long term. And so I'll just fix it. You know what I mean? Like you got a problem, just tell me Mm -hmm. and I will go talk to the other person or I will send the email or I will call the pet owner, you know, and and I'll just do it. And in today, today, that is by far the easiest thing to do to move forward. The problem is in the long term, I, I haven't grown this person at all. And I'm just going to end up doing this again and again. And so, when you zoom out for three to five years, you're going to say that was a terrible idea. You could have had that person trained and empowered in the first six months, and then you would have had you know three and a half years of not having to deal with this crap. Yep. But, but, but you did what was easy in the moment, and you paid for it in the long term. And so, those are the, those are the three the
1: three things that I see. Oh no! I think I I think that's incredibly insightful. I am I'm, I'm really grateful to hear that perspective from you because I think you're really spot on. Uh, you know, you you talked about the 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 two additional things beyond what we were talking about: this idea of identity, self-identifying as a leader, and the George yeah. Patton approach. And um and then you talked about uh what 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 I heard as the urgency of the immediate, and <laughs> the yeah. urgency of the immediate seems to take over. And, and I'd really love to talk about those two things yeah. from a little bit of an evidence-based perspective. So there's a, there's a researcher out of Wharton Business School uh, named Adam Grant, who I totally nerd boy over. Um, I, I always <laughs> like to joke, one of, one of my claims to fame is, uh, uh, I've gotten Adam Grant to exchange emails with me twice, so I feel pretty <laughs> good about myself. Um, <laughs> and, well, give and take, I'd you yeah. might say. Yes. Yes. A little give and <laughs> take. Well, it's an excellent pun. Thank you. <laughs> There's going to be like three really nerdy listeners who are going to get <laughs> I that. they were
0: like, wow. <laughs> okay. Sorry. Phil's
1: going to be one of them, by the way. Phil um, <laughs> so Richmond, that pun was for yeah. you, buddy. Yeah. All right.
0: Hey guys, I just want to jump in real fast and let you know that registration for the April 2022 uncharted veterinary conference is open we are live and back together in person again downtown greenville april 21st through the 23rd 2022 guys it is the five-year anniversary of uncharted that's right in 2017 we kicked off the first uncharted veterinary conference single best live event i've ever been to in my life i gotta tell you i mean i i I was among the people who cried when it was over because it was that amazing and awesome guys if you have not been to uncharted you've never seen anything like it it is truly a special wonderful uh event um yeah it's it's hard to explain it is all about um it is all about running smoother more efficient more enjoyable practices that is what this conference is is all about it's about getting things done and enjoying the process of doing them gang um If you are not an Uncharted member, you'll need to be a member to come. This is a member-only conference. There's only 150 spots. Uh, The reasons for that are plentiful, but mostly they involve the fact that Uncharted is a conference that never ends. There is stuff that goes on before the conference. There's stuff that goes on after the conference. This is a, um, this is, it's just unlike anything else that's out there if you're like, this is crazy talk what is he talking about uh head over to unchartedvet.com and learn more guys i would love to see you in april do not miss your chance to get your membership and get your spot like i said there's only 150 uh, guys i can't remember the last time i was this fired up about a live event it is going to be phenomenal and i would love to see you there now let's get back into this episode
1: Um, you know, one of the things that Adam Grant is really passionate about, which is one of the reasons why I totally adore the man is uh, this idea of psychological safety. And you you talked about that a little bit. You talked about the safety that, Mm -hmm. you know, as leaders, if we put on the persona of being George Patton, what we've essentially done is created an environment through messaging that says, we only tolerate perfection here. And if you can't be perfect, keep it to yourself. The problem is no human being is perfect. We're all fallible. We all fall short, we all stumble. Nobody has all the answers and all the skills and talents. The only way that we can achieve the higher purpose of our work together is if we do it together. Collectively, we are so much more resilient, more creative, more innovative, more able to accomplish things than we are as individuals. But the leader sets the tone for that, and you know, uh, psychological safety is essentially this—you know—concept of uh, in a team that it is safe. It is safe to say, hey, you know what, Andy, the way you did that, I'm not sure that was the right way, and that I know that you're not going to lash out at me or freak out, or I'm going to get punished in some way. That we can actually have that conversation. So Adam Grant did some work um, in the Gates Foundation. He's friends with Melinda Gates. And so uh, they wanted to see what they could do to enhance psychological safety in the Gates Foundation. one of the sort of typical approaches is we train managers on that and we sort of tell them, okay, you know what, maybe you need to go have these kind of vulnerable open-ended conversations. And certainly when they go through that training and then they go try it, when you measure psychological safety scores, you know, a week out, two weeks out, you do see an improvement. But the improvement doesn't last. Because more often than not, what happens is these managers say, okay, I'm going to have this vulnerable conversation, and then they get feedback that they don't like, or they don't agree with. And <laughs> then tell you the like, truth and so damn this, them for that. Yeah, damn them for that, or this is a total waste of my time, and then they stop doing it. So they tried something a little bit different, um, inspired by, uh, oh gosh, who's the the late night host who does the, the mean tweets thing? Oh, Jimmy Kimmel. Jimmy Kimmel, yeah. So they had... Uh, executives, uh, including Melinda, who's at the very top of this huge organization, um, do like mean tweets videos where they took feedback that they had received. And then on video, they talked about it through like the mean tweets kind of approach, but then also talked about what they learned from that feedback and how that feedback was valuable to them. And then they talked a little bit about, you know, constructive feedback that they'd gotten in the past and the value they got from that. They did not see the same immediate boost to psychological safety scores that they saw with that initial training. However, a year later, they saw significantly higher psychological safety scores than they saw with the initial training. You see, doing this kind of thing, being the vulnerable leader, the kind of leader who says, you know, this is not an environment of perfection, this is an environment of growth. This is where we learn, and I have to learn too. And this is some constructive criticism that I've gotten, and this is what I've learned from it, and you know, I'm this is what I'm trying to work on now, and I'd really love to hear from you all now of how I can be better here, starts to create that kind of environment long-term. Which then leads to that second point you made, the urgency of the immediate. We, we do, we get caught up in the urgency of the immediate, and we lose the capacity to think in long-term. But the truth is, that, and there's some really vibrant research on this too, when we put an immediate, sometimes painful, uh, you know, but intentional investment into the long-term, For example, in this particular piece of research I'm thinking about, where they implemented um, one-on-one programs that were nothing to do with performance evaluations. They were all about the employee. Where do you need more autonomy? Where do you need more support? How are you doing? What are you struggling with? How can I help you kind of meetings? One-on-one with direct reports for a minimum of one hour a month. So most of these teams, we're talking like five, six, seven, eight people that the manager's sitting down with for an hour every month. That's like, to most managers, you share that and they hear, wait, you want me to work another full day just to like sit down with my team and talk about these things? They did that for 18 months and they saw double digit percentage increases in productivity and job satisfaction. They saw reduction in turnover, retention rates went up. All of this kind of stuff happened and at the end of it, they asked the managers qualitatively, how did this impact your time? Doing you know, this an hour per direct report every month, did you find that you had to work more to get that done? Did you find that it didn't really impact your time? Or did you find that actually it increased the amount of time you had available? The average response from these managers, I found I had an extra seven hours every month yeah. to get my work done.
0: yeah. We, uh, you know, we, we do a lot of that stuff. So I run a, a group called Uncharted. Uh, and so we, we do conferences and we have an online community and stuff. And one of the, one of the struggles for, for me personally when getting Uncharted up and going was there are things like that that I just believe deeply in that I would say to people. You know, and I would, and I would yeah. say, hey, we're going to talk about having effective one-on-ones and we're going to talk about getting your leadership team on the same page with you. And we're going to talk about strategic planning, you know, and, yeah. and we're going to talk about these different things. And the pushback from so many people is, I don't have time to do strategic planning, and I don't have time to do I don't have time to do one on ones. And I, God, that's the big like that's probably the biggest trap that I see is there. There are some some of these things that are so transformational, and people go, I don't have the time to do it. And I'm like, but if you did it, you would have the time. Yeah, because you know, like it it would open it would open up so many other things. And it's that first painful thing, right? So just um, the the Path of like what's easy and convenient right now in the short term hurts the long term. That is the greatest trap in life. Is how many things are easy? Like think about like uh, how much we use social media. Like I've got five minutes to kill. The easiest thing for me possibly do is pop pop out Instagram and scroll through it. But then the problem is I got five minutes to kill again and again and again. You look at the end of the week and I kill I quote unquote killed I killed three hours over the course of the week. You know what I mean? And like had I popped my kindle app open uh i could have read you know i could have read you know 10 chapters of 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 something actually you know meaningful and 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 that helps me you know be a better person however i want to be or or just or that i would remember i you know, instagram is just like what you look at today i have no idea there was yeah. there was dancing uh <laughs> there were people uh, jumping and then they were in a different outfit than they were before they were like they're kittens yeah exactly yeah it's like there it was a dog running in circles that's the most memorable yeah. thing i saw um, but yeah but, you know it, it's that way but something like the one on ones and stuff like that it's really trying hard to cajole people yeah. to you know to to do the thing that's not that's not easiest in the moment
1: especially when you don't get that sort of um immediate feedback of the value of it when it doesn't feel like it's making a difference now um, it's really easy to sort of let go and lose mo- motivation for those things. We did some work with the hospital. Um, we started working with them about a year ago now. Uh, and they came to us, um, large practice, over 150 employees. They came to us for a lot of the same reasons that a lot of folks are coming to us these days. Uh, you know, uh, we're struggling, we're overworked. We're under-resourced. Yeah. We can't find help. The caseloads are through the roof. It's insane. What do we do? People are leaving and, you know, we, we need to help them. Mm-hmm. And so we, we conducted a, you know, kind of a, a, a large discovery process. We, we did some wide sweeping surveys and, you know, really touch base with the team and the leadership to kind of get a good idea of what was going on. And, you know, it was interesting. One of the clear themes that emerged through this process was people really crying out for connection. Um, We feel disconnected. We feel so overwhelmed by the work that we've lost touch with each other and we just need to touch base. So you know that's kind of screams for one of these like one-on-one, you know, effective one-on-one programs that you're referring to. But of course, you can't really go to a team like that and say, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to cut out seven hours, uh, you know, once a month where you're all going to meet and sit down. And that felt like way too much for them—a quantum yeah. leap. So we thought, well, gosh, how can we do this incrementally? And this is what they came up with, which I thought was genius. They said, hey, what if we just sort of recruited people to conduct these like mini check-ins and we'll make it no more than 10 minutes once Mm -hmm. a month. We'll divide the team up so that everybody has no more than five or six people they got to check in with and we'll create, you know, kind of like a, a standard framework for how this is gonna work. We'll, we'll create a small committee, we'll put these three people in charge of overseeing the program and being of support, and we did, we implemented that. We did a coach-the-coaches kind of training, and I sat down with these, by the way, 34 people in the hospital volunteered to conduct check-ins, which was amazing. Yeah, it's great. Uh, and we just trained them on, you know, coaching concepts and how do you conduct a check-in from a coaching perspective and talk to people in that way. And then we implemented that program. Eight months later, we redid the surveys and we looked at some of the quantitative scores. And one of these things was a measurement on just sort of the team's sort of self-perception of resiliency. We saw those resiliency scores Uh, so we divide them into kind of categories of how we view people in terms of their, you know, perception of their resiliency. I feel like I'm doing pretty good despite the challenges I face, or, you know, I'm kind of struggling or I'm just kind of getting by. We saw the, the low end of that, the people who said they were really struggling at the beginning of our work with them was at 12%. Eight months later, we had cut it down to 4%. The people who were in those, you know, I'm, I feel like I'm actually doing pretty good despite the challenges I'm facing, went up by 17%, all by just doing this little check-in intervention. And yeah. that, that was through a period of time that, by the way, I think you would agree as somebody who's in practice, from last October to this October, have things gotten easier in veterinary right. medicine? Right, yeah. Not, <laughs> like, not, not markedly, not. Yeah, so, I mean, that I feel like is a tangible in our profession, like something that shows that this stuff, it really does matter. Putting a small incremental investment now into a long-term relationship with your team will pay dividends. Yeah, no,
0: I I, I like that. I like that a lot. Um, sort of two comments, I think, that I want to make. The first one's maybe a little a little dicey here, so I'm going to be careful kind of how I say this. Um, I think that one of the one of the mantras I hear on social media and vet social media that always kind of makes me cringe a little bit. I think that there's this, there's this idea that's out there that I'm, I'm tired. Well, I, I, let me, let me start with the caveat. I, I think a lot of us, struggle to, to understand how we really feel and what we really need. I I think most of us don't really know if, if I said, I'm not, I'm not happy right now. And you said, Andy, what do you need? I don't think I can tell you, like, I'm not going to be able to list three things that I need. Uh, I think that's not not the case for me at the moment, but there've been times I've been unhappy and you say, what do you need to be happy? I was like, if I knew that I would have done the thing (laughs) that I needed to be happy and this would have been over. And so I I, I think a lot of us struggle with that. Sometimes we, we, we Mm. know that we know that we don't feel good or we know that we're not, as as enjoying our work like we used to, or or we know that we're seem tired, and, and it's just things like that. Part of that's the human condition, right? It always comes in waves, but yeah. I think we're generally pretty craptacular at at putting our finger right on on what we need. And so yeah. I I see a lot of I see a lot of narratives that say I need we need more time off. We need to we need to rest more. We need to relax more. Yeah. And and again, I don't I don't know the specific circumstances very context specific so in some cases that may may be true I think for most of us who say we're tired it's probably not really about the hours that we're working it may not even be with the speed with which we're working Um, it's Often something else about how we feel about our work, how we feel about um, how other people see our work, like our yep. appreciation level. A yes. lot of it is we feel like how successful we are. We've all done things before where we're like, "I'm doing this and I suck at it and it's terrible." Versus, mm-hmm. "I'm doing this and I'm doing a thing and I'm great at it and I'm scoring points and you know and and people are like, "Damn, you're killing it, buddy!" Uh, yeah. And you know what I mean? And I'm like, "I can do this all day." because I feel like I'm doing a good job and there's this rewarding thing and I'm getting positive feedback. And so um, when you talk about doing, you know, moving to these types of of check-ins, things like that, where we connect with each other, I think for most of us, that finding things like that really does so much good. And again, I'm not not trying to to downplay other people's concerns when they say, oh, I need time off or I need to rest. And And that may very well be true. But I think for our profession as a whole, I think... I think most of us really do benefit by by thinking more deeply about how do we connect? Um, what what makes us feel appreciated? What do we need for it to have psychological safety here and things yep. like that? Yep. And so I really love uh I, I like I like Adam Adam Grant's stuff for sure i i really i, I really think the, the power of vulnerability and leadership is really important and i think it's really scary for a lot of people they go i don't yeah. i don't know how to be vulnerable because i don't want to lose credibility and yep. so there there is this thing too of like i don't nobody i don't i don't want i don't want to see my boss as a crying sobbing mess Correct. you know uh, not not as a regular thing anyway yeah but yep. generally you know i I do like to, have, uh, to feel like my boss is, is confident and still being open. And so it, it, yeah. it, there's, there's a balance in this. I think for a lot of people who have maybe not led with vulnerability or never been comfortable with before, I think right now is a really good opportunity. I think, and I'm curious what you think of this, but as far as trying out vulnerability and flexing as a leadership muscle, I think a lot of people right now are dealing with tired teams. Yes. And I think a lot of people are starting to see some maybe uh, negativity in their practices. That didn't used to be there, you know. Maybe not overt, but maybe just some eye rolling, maybe just some snarkiness, you know. And and it comes from fatigue, I think. Mm -hmm. And I think those types of uh, problems are the best time to flex your vulnerability muscles as a leader. And 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 you can go to the team and you can say, guys, I'm noticing that we're not getting along as well as we used to, and I don't know what to do about it. And and and. (laughs) I mean, and, and honestly, I, I mean, I know that I'm having some grumpy days as well. Yeah. And sometimes I'm not the nicest person to be around, but I don't want to be that way. And I don't want our team to be that way. Yeah. And, and I want to talk to you guys about why this is happening. And mostly more importantly, yeah. what, can, what can we do? What can we do to right the ship? What can we do to, to get along better and to feel more supportive of each other? And I, I like that as a 101 level vulnerability conversation, you know? Totally. But just saying I don't I don't know what to do. And I own yeah. the fact that I'm probably part of this problem. I'm sure I'm part of the problem. But I don't want to be. And I want to work with you guys to figure out what we can do. Yeah. Yeah. I I I just feel like a lot of practices are struggling with that problem right now. And I really think that vulnerability is the key. You sure you might be able to roll out some appreciation program. It's like, guys, this is what we're gonna do. We're gonna have smile books and smile books, <laughs> but yeah you may have a great thing I'm just I don't I you know yeah. I, I got to go to my people and say yeah I don't know what to do but no, I love I, you guys I, I really want to
1: be happy here and I know I want you to be happy here. I'm, I'm listening to you describe this uh, this opportunity for vulnerability and how you would talk to your team and I'm thinking to myself I think I'm going to send Andy my uh, book manuscript and just have him revise it <laughs> <laughs> because I, I mean, that's like that is spot on what positive leadership is about. I, I think one of the challenges that people have, because you're right, you're right. It's you don't again. This is like you know what we were talking about at the beginning of this conversation. That sort of like being pulled in two directions, and it's really easy to sort of teeter totter between the two poles, the extremes. And I think there's an opportunity in between the both and. That's where that's where that both and lives. That tensional space in between two poles is where often the the most vibrant and effective approaches live. And what you just shared was between the approach of action and vulnerability. See, I think that a lot of us, when we hear talk about vulnerability, you know, we hear what Brene Brown talks about. We hear what you're talking about, what I'm talking about. A lot of us can't help but hear only the vulnerability piece. Yeah. And that feels like, well, I can't show a kink in my armor. I'm the leader. Yeah. They not they won't believe I'm credible. They won't follow me anymore. That can, it's not vulnerability by itself. You can't stop at vulnerability. Yeah, quite also yeah. has to be action. And that's what you just said. It's vulnerability to sit down with your team and say, guys, listen, if things are not going well right now. And we are overwhelmed. And I'm yeah. probably just as guilty of the shitty attitude as I'm seeing around us. And yeah. that's not okay. I don't want it to be this way. We gotta, we gotta be better together because we're in this together. That's vulnerability, but if you stop just there and that's all you ever do, Yes, the team will eventually see you as the person who doesn't know what they're doing and doesn't have the answers, and I, why would I trust that person? Right. What you just did was you followed it up with, okay, let's talk about why we think this is happening, and perhaps more importantly, what we can do about it together. Because right. we are in this situation and scenario. These are the tools and resources we have. Things are not going to just change on their own. Caseloads, they're not going away. Right. The the staffing shortages that we have, it's not like, you know, Santa Claus is gonna deliver a whole bunch of veterinarians and technicians. Yeah. That's not gonna change. So so given that we're here together and we want it to be better, what can we do?
0: Yeah. I I, I that's why I, I think this is such a good I think it's a such a good workout tryout for a vulnerable approach because it does lend itself to what are we gonna do going forward? And that's why I said, you know, mm-hmm. why is this happening? More importantly, what are we doing in the future? yeah, I, I think a lot of people get tied up into dissecting what's going on. And really, the truth is how, how do we, like what's done is done. It doesn't yeah. matter why we felt crappy two weeks ago if how, what
1: matters is how we're going to feel two weeks from now. you You just touched on something that I, is very, very important to me. It's not a mindset that I always had. I had to develop this mindset. But you know when when we get fixated on dissecting the problems, what we're doing is we're trying to make things better by eliminating. And eliminating problems never contributes to innovation, to new ways of doing, being, or feeling, or you know any of that. Uh, to to use to sort of loosely steal Dr. Martin Seligman's words. Um, the the absence of mental illness is not necessarily mental wellness. You know, I I often, when I talk about uh, this leadership stuff, I I, I paint a picture, just imagine the scenario. You go to bed tonight and a miracle happens. And overnight, all veterinary debt disappears. Everybody in the space gets triple the pay. You never have to work a minute over 35 hours a week. You never get double booked. And every client also got triple pay. And so that means that every client is now ready to say yes to all your recommendations. Glorious scenario, right? sounds amazing and i watch people's eyes light up and then on the next slide i say do you think in this miracle scenario that everybody in veterinary medicine with the snap of a finger would be happy and fulfilled yeah And everybody in the room not you know shakes their (laughs) head no no way because we all know that you know there's elimination of problems is an important thing we have to work on that stuff but elimination of problems alone does not create fulfillment Fulfillment is cultivated by adding things into the environment. And and that's what you're trying to do with that conversation, that vulnerable conversation with your team. You're looking at the problems, you're honoring that, you're giving them the space to share and looking what we can add to make the best of the situation we have. Yeah, John, I, I love that. I want to
0: unpack that more with you. I think we're uh, we're going to be out of time for now. So, will you come back and talk with me uh, more oh, about
1: that in the future? I'd love to, Andy. This is this is a joy for me to to chat oh, with awesome. somebody like you who just clearly gets this. Oh, thanks. I I, I enjoy this as well. Where can
0: uh, where can people find you online? Where can they learn where can they learn more about Flourish uh, Veterinary Consulting?
1: Yeah. So uh, our website is just flourish.vet f-l-o-u-r-i-s-h dot vet uh you can find me on linkedin i'm pretty active on there we're on facebook as well um and then just at various conferences and things around the country awesome thanks josh thank you and appreciate you and that is our episode guys i hope you enjoyed it. i hope you
0: got something out of it i hope you're like oh i see why andy said at the very beginning that this was a good episode because it was. I really enjoyed it. Guys, if you enjoyed it, uh, leave me an honest review wherever you get your podcast. That's a nice thing that you can do. And it means the world to me. Other than that, guys, I don't have anything else for you. Have a wonderful day. I hope this gave you some really good food for thought. Hope you're enjoying your holidays. Take care. Be well.